of us have bought. Those are lies from outside the church. Some of the lies are even shared from inside the church, unfortunately. Then on the 14th, we really honed in on the concept of purity. What's it mean to be pure? What's purity look like? And the big idea on the 14th was that you are called to be pure, whether you're single, whether you're married, or whether you're formerly married. It's a big idea to be pure. I was supposed to preach on the 21st, but I had no voice that day. So Kent Hickerson stepped in. He did a great job, preached on peace that day. And then last week, the 28th, we looked at how are Christ followers to deal with the issue of homosexuality. And we talked about the same-sex marriage issue. And I want to just throw this out. Um, If you want to discuss that sermon, if you want to discuss that topic, if you have feedback My door is always open. I had two members come to me this week and they said, I'm the mouthpiece for people that have concerns, but they're afraid to come and talk to you. Don't be afraid to come and talk to me. I I rarely hit somebody. Rarely do I get so angry that I'm just kidding. I've never hit anybody. Come on in. I would love to have that discussion with you. If there's something that was shared in that sermon or something that wasn't shared in that sermon and you'd like to discuss that, I would love to hear from you. You can email me. You can call me. You can come and see me. And today, November 4, we're wrapping this series up by looking at marriage. What should marriage look like? What is God's master plan? Where does sexual intimacy play into the the, the marriage covenant? And so with that, let's dive right in. The big idea today is this, God's master plan for sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship really does make sense. I can't wait until 11 o'clock today when I have about five rows of teenagers sitting before me and I'm able to drive that point home because for so many of us, if you reflect back to maybe your your earlier years, when you were a teenager, when you were a college student, and, and, and if you were serious about your faith at that time, but your hormones were maybe doing crazy things to you on the inside, that was a civil war. Trying to really manage what is God's master plan? What's God's best idea for me? With what, what am I feeling on the inside? What am I seeing on the television? What am I watching in movies? What am I being told by culture is normal and acceptable? And so today, I want to go back to where we were last week in Genesis chapter 2. I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to creation. And I want to share with you God's master plan for you and for me as it pertains to marriage. And so with that, I'm going to read several verses of Scripture from Genesis chapter 2. This is part of the creation narrative. Verse 18 begins like this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave all names to the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, 
and they felt no shame. And that, that's, that's the creation account. That's the very beginning. There's several things that I want you to see in this account before we dive into what I'm going to call four musts for marriage. Understand that the Lord understood that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needs to have a helper. And you, know, you can get a little creative. All the beasts of the field, all the animals, all, all the birds of the air are brought before him. And no suitable helper was found for him. Praise the Lord, right? Absolutely, right? Amen? But what I want you to see here is the idea of fulfillment, the idea of completeness is in the heart of the Lord from the very beginning. And when marriage by the book plays out, when a man and a woman come together, and they're united in this beautiful, sacred ceremony of marriage. And they live their lives in a godly, God-honoring way. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to the creation account. So with that, let me share with you this morning, pretty quickly, four musts for marriage. Four musts for marriage. Now, I realize any time in a church this size, the topic of marriage comes up, it's a hard topic for some of us. For some of us, we were married, and it didn't go well, and it ended in divorce. And that's kind of a, a negative for us. It brings back bad memories. Or maybe for some of us, we're not married right now, but we're living our lives like we are married in many ways. And the temptation is, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this message. I don't know if I want to get my, sto- my toes stomped on this morning in many ways. What I want to do today is I want to paint for you a picture of God's master plan for marriage. And I want to do it with grace flowing this morning because we all fall short. There is no perfect marriage. There's no one that has it all figured out and they're the answer people. And oh, by the way, if someone tells you they are, perfect in their marriage and they've got it all figured out and they've got all the answers and they've never had the storms of life in their marriage, they're not being truthful. It's impossible. It's impossible. So if you're a little tense right now, if your fists are starting to clench, just relax and let's go back to Genesis 2 and let's look at God's master plan. Number one, four must for marriage, a strong Christian marriage begins with separation. It begins with separation. And in chapter 2, verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. There's a change that takes place. I remember back to the courtship days with Marla. I remember back to leading up to, to the marriage day. I remember moving into that parsonage that had no insulation in the walls in Mawequa, Illinois, the, the first week of marriage. Praise the Lord that it was June and not January. And I remember finally feeling like separation has taken place. A change has taken place. The cord has been cut. The child-parent relationship has changed. And, and when I read Genesis 2, There's no mistaking the fact that a change has to take place. Now, this doesn't mean we're called to abandon our parents or to ignore our parents or to mistreat our parents. It doesn't mean that you can only talk for five minutes a week with your parents. That's not what it means. But it means a change has to take place. 
A separation has to take place. Sometimes priorities have to change. Number two, a strong Christian marriage is designed to be permanent. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The idea from the beginning is that this relationship would be a forever relationship. When you share your traditional vows during a wedding ceremony, have you, do you remember the vows that you've shared? For as long as we both shall love. Is that right? Is that how it goes? How's it go? For as long as we both shall live. And I would say this to the unmarried this morning that are considering marriage. Uh, marriage is work. Marriage isn't easy. It'd be great to be on the mountaintop all the time. That probably won't happen. There will be valleys. But understand, Genesis 2, from the beginning, God's master plan is that marriage was designed to be permanent. Third, a strong Christian marriage embraces the concept of unity. It embraces the concept of unity. You know, I hope that when we have went through the marriage selection process, when we've gone through the process of selecting a husband or selecting a wife, we have looked at this as someone more than just a housemate, more than just someone that will help me pay my bills, more than someone that will just bring me some pleasure every now and then. I really hope that the desire in your heart was exactly the word on the screen, unity. Be united to his wife. There's something very unique about the godly marriage when it comes to unity. Now, I love having friends. I have great male friends in my life. Ernie Harvey is one of my best friends. Eric Ewald is one of my best friends. Ed Bacon is one of my best friends. I, I could go on and on. Jeff Mayfield is, a, is just a great friend. I love to engage with them. I love to talk with them. But there is nothing like the relationship that I have with Marla, the unity that we have. And here's the really scary thing. We've been married 20 and a half years and I can almost start putting words in her mouth. We, we've been around each other so much. And sometimes that's a really good thing, and sometimes that's a challenging thing at times. But the point is this. When you follow God's master plan, when you commit to a lifetime together, this unity grows and it is fulfilled in, in beautiful, beautiful ways. Number four, a fourth must for marriage. A strong Christian marriage should result in the joy of intimacy. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, at this point, when we talk about intimacy, we almost always think about what? Sex, right? Sexual intimacy. And that is absolutely a part of this. But if all you see is sex, when you see that word intimacy, you're really selling short God's master plan. I do want to bring out for you this morning what I really, I think a lot of people just don't understand this. What, what is the purpose of sex? I've had people ask me before, why sexual intimacy? What is the purpose? I think scripture shows that there are three reasons for sexual intimacy when God was designing this and sex was a part of it. And man, praise the Lord that, that it is a part of it and praise the Lord that that is his master plan. But the first reason for sexual intimacy is procreation. 
is procreation. That's obvious throughout Scripture. You see that unfold over and over and over again, the blessing of children. Now, I praise the Lord that in 2012, um, we are able to be a blessing in this way even when our bodies don't physically allow us to have children. And many of you know I've shared this before. I'm adopted. I praise the Lord that in July of 1969, when I came into this world in Urbana, Illinois, my birth mother, for whatever reason, I don't know why, was not able to care for me. And Jim and Dorothy Taylor, a young Christian couple that could not physically have children, were blessed with a a baby boy. It's a blessing. Absolute blessing. First purpose of sexual intimacy is procreation. A second purpose is, of course, pleasure. And and this is one place that the church has failed in many ways. And and hopefully this month, hopefully you haven't just seen this as some on-the-edge series where we're trying to get extra people to come to church and we're trying to push people's buttons. We have not talked enough about sex as Christians. We've not talked enough about sex as a church. We've given that topic to culture far too much. And you read through the Song of Solomon, and guess what? The first time you read through the Song of Solomon, you might think, is this really in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Because sex is awesome when it's followed by God's plan. Sexual intimacy is incredible. It it brings wonderful pleasure when it's followed according to God's master plan. Now, most people stop right there. Most people would say that's the twofold purpose of sex. But I think Genesis 2 outlines what I would call a, a third purpose for sexual intimacy. And I call it the most personal connection. The two shall become one flesh. It's an incredible, incredible illustration, I believe, of what Jesus Christ can do for us. The love that Jesus Christ has for the church. And so I told you I wasn't going to preach very long this morning. And I'm going to hold to that truth. But as I conclude today, I've got a word for the unmarried and I've got a word for the married. And the word for the unmarried is simply this. Be, be wise. Be wise. It's difficult living in our culture today when you're not married. Now, I understand that. I think it's even more difficult living in a Christian culture when you're not married. It's hard. We don't do a great job ministering to singles. I'll just be the first to tell you that. Shame on us in many ways. But if you find yourself today, you're not married, be wise. Be smart. Make wise choices. Allow a scripture like 2 Corinthians chapter 7, do not be unequally yoked flow through your mind. A lot of people have perverted that scripture. They've said, well, that talks about race or that talks about nationality. No, it doesn't. Apostle Paul's talking about a non-believer marrying a believer. And he says to the believer, do not be unequally yoked. Right now, I'm walking in life with a couple friends that used to be married and are no longer married. They didn't want to be in this circumstance. Their spouse just made it a reality for them. And it's tough. It's hard. It's painful. It hurts. 
Sometimes we'll get together and there's three couples and then someone that used to be married. and It's a challenge. And in all of that, I say, be wise. Don't be in a hurry. Make wise choices. Well, what about for the married? Many of us today, maybe most of us in this service, are married. And I've got a couple words for you. The first word is this, be resourceful. Be resourceful. It is incredible all the resources that are out there for Christian couples that want to make their marriage the very best that it can be that are just available literally at your fingertips. I think I counted this morning five of our younger couples in the last three, four months have went away for marriage weekend seminars. Some have went far, some have went close. But you know what that tells me? There's a lot of resources available for us. And if you find yourself today and you're not sure you're going to be married another month or another year or another five years, if you're really not satisfied with where your marriage is, be resourceful. Make a commitment to better your marriage today. Whatever it takes, make that commitment. And then number two, the second, the second word that I have for the married is this. Be resolute. Be resolute. Marriage takes work. Let's be honest. Life is hard. Some of us right now, we're in the valley. We're going through a storm of life. And it may have nothing to do with our marriage, but the storm of life just brings stress. And everyone endures that at a time. But it's difficult in many ways. And the lie of our world, the lie of of our culture is, if you're not happy, just make a change, make a trade, move on, go a different direction. And I implore you who are married, be resolute. Be resolute. Make a commitment that your marriage will last and your marriage will grow. And that as a result of your marriage growing, your spiritual relationship with the Lord will grow. I went to Bible college, Ernie and I both did, with, um, with Jeff and Karen Noah. And, and Jeff was older than us, and Karen was our age, and they started dating in college, and shortly after they were married. And they started kind of a journey through life that, that a lot of us at Bible college started. And their story was a little different because they had several ministries throughout the first 20 years of their marriage, and... Just to be truthful, um, they weren't at churches like First Christian Church of Clinton. They weren't at churches that loved their ministers and prayed for their ministers and thanked their ministers and encouraged their ministers. They were in some tough, tough ministries. And yet, through it all, just continued to grow. I would see Karen or I would see Jeff at events, and you could tell that through the stress of life and through the stress of ministry, they were growing closer to one another. They were growing closer to the Lord. About a year and a half ago, they were in a ministry in southern Indiana, and just literally on the spur of a moment, the, the elders called a real quick Sunday evening meeting and let him know he was fired immediately. You're done. And um, very disappointing, they started searching for a ministry and found a ministry in southern Kentucky, and the week they were to move to southern Kentucky, December of last year, Karen found out that she had cancer. And they were very optimistic, they're cup half full kind of people. 
But I can remember one particular email, it was a Facebook message, Karen saying, I I don't know what's going on. I don't know how much more we can take. But I know God has a plan. I know God wants to bless us. I wish I could tell you that they found a cure for that cancer and that today they are thriving in ministry in Harlan, Kentucky, and their marriage is as strong as it's ever been. But I can't share that with you because the cancer went from pretty bad to to really bad to terrible to let's call hospice to this picture that I want to put up on the screen right now. This is taken on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. This is after the doctors had had told Karen that there was no medical hope. That her life would now on this earth would be defined in terms of days, possibly even hours. And when we got done with church that day, Kent preached that day, I went to my computer and logged on Facebook to, to put a thank you message to Kent. And this picture popped up with one simple sentence. Till death do us part. And the next morning, Karen Noah died. Now, I don't tell you that story so you'll cry, even though I'm about to right now. I tell you that story because that was a great illustration for me of two people saying, no matter what is thrown our way, no matter what obstacles come our way, we're in this together. Jeff saying to Karen, life can be really difficult, but I am here for you. And my friends, that is marriage by the book. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thank you for the opportunity to discuss topics that we don't talk about a lot at church. All month long, We've been uncomfortable at times, and that's okay. And yet this morning, I am so thankful for this living illustration in my life from the last several months and the dozens of illustrations that are being told every week here in Clinton, Illinois, of men and women who are committed to each other in covenant relationship with you. They're living illustrations for us to grab a hold of. So this morning we say thank you for marriage. This morning, Father, we pray that you will bless us, that you will strengthen us, and that through it all you will be glorified. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.